Welcome to today's Church Central podcast. We're a family of churches across Birmingham. To find out more, head to churchcentral.org.uk. We wanted to start this year uh, just by kind of putting some stakes in the ground. Some of the things that we think are really important uh, to know and uh, to be part of uh, a church. Some of these stakes will be similar to all the churches that we've uh, been talking about this morning. So it's just south, east and west. Um, and so I just want to talk through really quick nuggets before we start talking about the gifts of the Spirit that we're going to look at today. One is that we are a, a Bible-centred church. We, we really do believe in the authority, uh, the reliability and the truth of the Word of God. And so what, anything that we do must fall into a framework of, is it in the Bible? Does it talk about this in the Bible? Uh, and is there good reason for this based on what the Bible says, not just what our culture says or what seems to be the hip trend uh, in the city or anything like that? So just want to say, we want to anchor everything that we do in the word of God. And we are really open to talking that, that through with people if you want to, uh, as to kind of how we land on certain things that we do. So that's the first thing, Bible-centered church. We're a missional church. So we, uh, there's someone that said, I've heard a quote yesterday that was that the church is the only organization that exists primarily for its non-members. You may have heard that. I think that for the most part, I don't, I'm not sure it's entirely true in that it's for the good of the members as well. Um, but we do want to have an outward focus to things that we do. We, we don't think we should just be some holy huddle of Christians hiding in the corner of King Standing. Hopefully no one sees what we're doing. Actually, we exist to make more disciples and introduce Jesus, this wonderful treasure that we know, to those around us that don't yet know him. That just want to be really clear on that. So we believe in the truth of the word of God, the Bible. We're a missional church. We want to make more disciples. So things that we do are going to have a bit of an angle for that um, at times, and hopefully a lot more so. I'm really excited about uh, seeing more of that over the next year. And lastly, we're a charismatic church. Uh, so you may that's a funny word. Basically, what it means is we believe that when the Bible talks about these sort of gifts and expressions of a spirit-filled life, God's Holy Spirit that comes to live inside of believers, uh, that that produces this kind of external kind of um, kind of behaviours and things in our life uh, that are for the building of one another up. Uh, and we, we're unashamedly about that. We want to see that. We want to see people prophesying. We want to see miracles, people healed. We don't think that that is just stuff that tended to happen um, in the New Testament and isn't for today because some apostles died. I cannot understand why people would think that it's only for this small period of time and then the job's done. God's job is not done. People have not got to a point where they know enough about Jesus and we're just riding out a storm. The same mission applies to those apostles as it does to you and I on the streets of King Standing today. So I don't think God's job is done. And so I don't think his plan and the way that he wants it to work has finished. Uh, so three nuggets, just so you know a little bit about where we're going. Right now, the business. James last week introduced us to the topic of uh, gifts of this Holy Spirit. Last term we talked about the fruits of the Spirit. So basically, when we give our life to God... We invite his Holy Spirit to come and live inside of us. And that produces sort of behaviours and characteristics in our life and, and affects the way that we interact with one another, uh, to those who don't yet know Jesus, and to God himself. And uh, part of the, the fruit is kind of this, the natural outworking of having the Holy Spirit inside you. 
But part of growth as well is like God's like, it's like, that's not just enough. It's not enough just to have my spirit inside you. I'm going to give you some specific, useful tools or gifts. And that's what we're looking at at the start of this year. So today, for the next 10 minutes, I'm talking on the gift of tongues. You may have heard about this. Uh, so what is the gift of tongues? What does it mean? Tongues is it's an odd word. We wouldn't normally use that in our language every day uh, here. But basically it means languages. And it can be more helpful, I think, at times to read it as languages in the Bible. <laughs> it's God imparting the ability for his church to speak in these languages and tongues. And it's a supernatural gift. It's, it's about understanding a, a language that you've never studied at school, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, suddenly you can speak in a language that you've never known before. Um, so that, that's kind of what we're talking about, just so that we're all clear. There's kind of two ways this gift works and is talked about in the New Testament. The first, you'd find it in uh, Pentecost, type one. It's an earthly language, uh, like German or Cantonese. And we see this in Acts 2. God's people, the Spirit enabled them to, to speak in languages that they didn't know before. And all these other people that were gathered around were like, hang on a minute, how come he can speak my language, like I'm over, I'm from Egypt, and you can speak Egyptian. This is incredible, uh, and so uh, that's kind of. These aren't heavenly languages. These are other languages that were on the earth that were developed by humans. And God says, "Do you know what? It's important that they know about the truth of the gospel." So, boom, and then these people start pre preaching and proclaiming. And these people are, like, oh, I understand that. Oh, and it's really good what you're saying, and give their life to Jesus. So sometimes. The gift of tongues is a very practical kind of thing for other people and is kind of aimed at kind of being very missional and outward looking. Uh, so that's type one. So uh, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. This is Acts 2. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were, staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. Because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, oh, uh, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of, them hear, uh, each of us hears them in our own native language? So that's type one. Type two is what I want to dwell on a little bit more, uh, which is a heavenly language. Uh, and the Bible says, uh, anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. That's 1 Corinthians so this is a language that isn't for other people. It's not a known language on the earth. It's a heavenly language that only God understands. So just want to be really clear. There's two ways, and it's, and it's important to know what's going on, I think, depending on where you are in the Bible. Paul actually gives us a whole chapter, 1 Corinthians 14, the big chunk. I'm probably not going to get through it all today, but I want to, be re I want to throw a nugget out to you and say, listen, if you're not sure about the gift of tongues, or you've never heard it talked about in a church before, then I'd encourage you, open your Bible to 1 Corinthians 14 and ask yourself, why is it there? Why is this there? Why is it important? The tone of what Paul's saying is, people are using it in the wrong way, and so we wanna, I want to help steer and give some encouragement about how it should be used in a, in a church setting. But the fact that he's giving a whole chapter to it, I think is worth us asking the question of, hang on a minute, that should mean something to me, and I should do something about that. I'm going to read uh, a few bits of that, uh, that chapter, and then we're going to pull out a few points, if that's okay. And I've stapled the wrong thing. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. 
I'm just going to read, this is the word of God, and you just soak it up and listen to it and ask questions as you go. Follow the way of love. Eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I'd rather you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets it, so that then the whole church can be edified. Verse 9. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, stuff we understand, how will anyone know what you're saying? You'll just be talking into the air. Undoubtedly, there'll be all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone's saying, I'm a foreigner to the speaker. The speaker is a foreigner to you. So it is with you. Since you're eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. Paul's right. Have you ever, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you're in another country or you're talking to someone who just has no, uh, there's no common language between you. For me, I'm an English speaker. I can only speak English. I tend to just raise that noise a little bit louder and hope that they understand what's going on. Um, but I, I'll be honest, I put, I put the responsibility on the other person because I just have, I don't know what to do or I just start miming and acting stuff out. But Paul's basically saying, listen, don't just start making more and more noise. It's got to mean something. And then we get to verse 13. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he would interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit is praying, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I'll pray with my spirit, but I'll also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I'll also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you're praising God in the spirit, how can someone else, who's now put in the position of an inquirer, say amen to your thanksgiving? I don't know what you're saying. You're giving thanks well enough, but no one is edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I'd rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than a thousand words in a tongue. A few things to pull out. Uh, quick fire points. I, it's gonna just try and be, I'll try and be as quick as I can. I'm sure you all have questions. I'll send you a blog notes if you want them uh, to some helpful yeah, resources that I've got. But number one, the thing that I've pulled out for this morning is it something to be eagerly desires. Follow the way of love. Eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit. I think that means even, guys, when we don't fully understand it, or it doesn't quite make sense in a kind of cognitive sense. There is something about how he, Paul was talking about, my mind doesn't know what's going on, but there's something that goes on in our spirit when we pray in tongues. So I think it's really important that in a world, in a culture, which is like we need everything needs to be cerebrally processed through the mind and make sense in a very scientific way, that we just take a step back and think, actually, it doesn't seem like, doesn't seem like that is always Paul's priority in how he's talked about it. The spiritual gifts are not to be avoided. So we don't avoid it because we don't understand it, or we might look a bit weird or odd um, if God gives us that gift. Or maybe we've asked for this gift before and nothing has happened. Do we stop being eager at that point? Is that the, the thing that sort of means I don't have to be eager anymore? I don't think so. In fact, I watched John Piper, who is not someone who speaks in tongues, uh, but 
he was talking uh, about how he, he gets on his knees and cries out to God, God, give me this gift of tongues. Because he recognises it's in the word of God. And so there's something there, which is, I think, a really credible attitude to have as you grow on in your, in your Christian walk. Maybe it's not something you've got yet, but it's something to keep persevering and asking God for. So eagerly desire. Number two, it's a gift. So be thankful. Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. I, I don't know if that's like a little aside, it's like more than all of you. Uh, but there's something I think that we learn in, in Paul's comments there, which is like, in one sense it's weird because he says, listen, I don't, I don't do a lot of the big talking in tongues in, in ministry, so I want, I want to build up the church. So when does he do it? Like he must just do it a lot in private. It must be a, a culture and a part of his life. So tongues isn't just for, I'll come to a Christian meeting and I'll pray in tongues, or when someone else is going to hear hear me, then I'll speak in tongues. Quite the opposite. So there's just something there. Let's be thankful. Have thankful hearts. Tongues do not give you like a lieutenant status in the kingdom of God, in the church. You're not a better Christian or a better believer by being a given a spiritual gift. Really, really want to run this home uh, over, James did it last week, and I want to make sure that we're, we're really anchored on this. Gifts of the Spirit are just gifts that God pours out to his people. Part of that is the people that are willing and open and asking, but it doesn't mean that they're better, okay? There's no partiality. There's no sort of choosing between like a, sort of a kind of spiritual status. In Church Central North, we are all equal. We stand equally before the throne of God, and there's only one person who sits in authority, and that's the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Right. Number three, it will help you communicate with God. You know, God loves to talk to you, and loves it when you talk to him as well. And I think it's something in that, which is, he'll give you your own unique language to speak to him in. I don't know how many times you've been praying, uh, whether it's by yourself or in other settings, you're like, I've kind of run out of words to say. My English is very limited, uh, and I quite quickly get my words all bungled up. You've probably heard me singing songs sometimes, I'll just sing the same thing, or like some random word that might rhyme, which doesn't quite make sense. I think there's something about the, the, the gift of tongues, which means I just keep going, like it's great. And, and all the time, when I'm praying in tongues, what I'm doing is I'm meditating on God. Uh, so it's not like uh, I'm just like brain dead and just sort of not thinking about anything. No, my mind is fixed on God. And probably most significantly, personally for me, is I'm not asking him for stuff. I, that, it, I feel like my, in my spirit there is, there is something which is I'm just declaring God's goodness and his greatness. And I think there's no better place for a Christian to be, which is, do you know what? Put all your stuff aside. That communication, the spirit working in you, it's just to, like the spirit knows what you need <laughs> in you. So I think there's something really precious about that. As it edifies you, that goes on to the next point. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. Verse four. Chris, sorry, do you think tongues are not to be used in session? I will come to that in a moment. Yeah, I will come to that. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. It will make your faith stronger, encourage you, and build you up. And I know that's true for me. It edifies the church. There are absolutely times where as a church we might be together and someone will bring a tongue. But only when it's translated or interpreted. That's what I get from, from reading Paul's instructions in 1 Corinthians. 
like a prophetic word, or when people are praying out in worship today, there was something like, oh yes, that, I, I feel like that sometimes, or I've never thought of God in that way, that's brilliant. And that might be going on when someone's praying out in a tongue, but when someone's praying out in a tongue, I don't know what they're saying. So unless someone who's got a gift of interpretation can explain that declaration of who God is, and isn't he majestic in this way, I don't know what's going on. So I need that to help me in my worship. Now there is a subtle sense in which Someone like going for it, speaking in tongues, I'm like, oh, that's good. Like, look, at God's made that person happy, which is good because I can then celebrate that he's making someone happy. But I think Paul is quite clear that in order for it to really build up the church and serve them, there should be someone explaining what is going on. So verse five, the church may be edified, but when it's interpreted. There's a whole nother gift, by the way, that I'm not even going to go into today, which is the gift of interpretation. It goes hand in hand with this. I don't think it should be there's gift of tongues and there's never a gift of interpretation. Um, so, in a gathered context, the gift of tongues is not for self-expression. It's not, it shouldn't be, I don't think, a sense of kind of like, I'm going, like, I'm going to speak really loudly so you can all hear that I'm praying in tongues to, to my God. I don't think that's the tone that I'm hearing Paul talk about here. Uh, I think only... I think it just—it really needs backing up. I think with with someone who's going to bring an interpretation, help make sense of what this noise is coming out of someone's mouth for the rest of us. Uh, now there are times, just as a quick aside, these are my personal views. There are also times where I think you could be in a smaller setting. So I was in a worship setting uh, last few days where there was only about eight of us. Someone playing guitar. I was like there, just sort of praying in tongues quietly to myself. That is different, I think, than a public proclamation. Like in, a, like in the same way that we might all pray at certain times in a worship time. Like, God, I just, I'm not really feeling it this morning. Would you help me? That isn't a, God, we're not really feeling that this morning. Will you help us? Like there's a difference in the tone of those prayers. Does that make sense? I just want to be really clear. There's okay. So I think it's okay to be praying in tongues to yourself. But one of the other things that we come to is, it can be a bit weird for people that don't know about the gift of tongues. And Paul seems clear on trying to explain that to people. And so I think we should just be cautious of that as well, to a degree. I don't want to put people off, but I want us to use it in the way that the Bible describes. So we need translation. Unless you're speaking intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? For this reason, the one who speaks in the tongue should pray that they may interpret. So what's the point of speaking in tongues unless people know what's being said, if it's for the group setting, I think there is absolutely ed personal edification for yourself. A good clue, if you're like, oh, I feel like oh, I'm gonna pray in tongues, good clue is, has anyone in the room ever given an interpretation to a tongue before? That would give a good clue that they've got the gift of interpretation and you're probably on safer ground to therefore bring a tongue. If you're not sure, or you're in a brand new place, you don't know anyone, my personal advice would be, maybe don't, don't do it in that setting. That's, that's what I would personally do. Number seven, churches shouldn't ban it, which is ironic because I think loads of churches in the world have absolutely banned it. Maybe they wouldn't buy sort of in principle with what they say about it, but they ban it in practice. And so I'm really cautious. Having just said what I've said, I'm absolutely never going to stand up and say someone shouldn't do it because the Bible tells us not to. Verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 39. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. It's quite there, isn't it? Black and white. So we're not forbidding it. We shouldn't do that. I think given such an explicit instruction, 
It's, it's sad, really, I think, how many churches have done exactly that. So when should it be used? For, this is my, my own thoughts on the matter. Primarily, in my life, it would look more often, probably 80% of the time, in my private devotional kind of worship and praise to God. Uh, and alongside other believers in small settings where I may be like, speaking in tongues, but not in a kind of, this is for the church, and probably like 4%. To, in a setting where I know there's someone who has got the gift of interpretation. Now, that only develops as a culture unless we're all seeking God and, and asking for these gifts as well, which we need to be mindful of. And it seems like this is a group thing. It is like a, not a, just a, a me thing. It seems like Paul is saying, no, this is good, but you all need to be in it together. That's why we need an interpreter and why it helps other people that don't yet know Jesus and those that do. Uh, quick nugget, it's controllable. It's not like some urge that flows out of you that it's like, I can't control it, I've just got to do it. You can, you can control it, because otherwise Paul wouldn't give such practical instructions on it. And I personally don't believe the gift of tongues is for everyone. There will be some that do. So there's on one side of the pendulum, there'll be churches that say, the gift of tongues proves that you are spirit-filled, and unless you speak in tongues, you're not. We are not there as a church. Absolutely not. We're also not on the other side, which is, it's, it's demonic, and it's emotionalism, and it's fake, and you shouldn't do it. We're probably over here. Uh, so, um, those, those, are, those are my views. So I, I don't believe it's for everyone. I don't believe the Bible teaches that in the same way prophecy or gifts of miracles or healings seem to be poured out on people. While in Acts they, were, they did all speak in tongues, I don't think that sets a precedent for all the time that everyone should be. Does that make sense? Those are my views. And the last one, you can't teach people how to speak in tongues. It's not like, speak after me. <laughs> like, that's not how it works. You ask God, you, and you might, because it's a bit odd, and you might be uncomfortable, I'd encourage you, come and speak to James White. How do you, where, what environment would you be in to ask God for this gift? But I want to land back with point number one. How do we eagerly desire this gift? How do we not get put off with all the rules about how to do it? I'm like, being serious. There's, there's something in there which is we've got to understand this, but we should still eagerly desire it. So that's me done. That is tongues.